Welcome to Truly Fit, the online fitness marketplace connecting pros and clients through unique fitness business software. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Lashuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking with Trent McIntyre. Trent is the owner of McIntyre Pilates, but today we are going to speak about his neuro movement course and his term, Fire Up Your Brain. He's going to describe what Fire Up Your Brain means, but if I can give a quick description, it is making brain work fun. He is going to go through the tools he uses to do this, why it's important, the science that backs it, and then specifically his brain speed ball, which is an orange ball that has black letters and numbers on it, softball that you can throw to your clients. For those of you who are not watching this, but listening to this, that will give you some help when describing this. If somebody wants to integrate this into their practice, their personal training or their group fitness, we talk about that and ways in which you can reach out and learn more. And it is great all around material for those of you who have clients, whether they're athletes who are trying to improve in cognitive cognitive development, baseball players or football players catching balls and understanding where their weaknesses are, whether it's visual acuity or otherwise, or whether it is clients that I work with that have movement disorders and you are trying to make sure that their cognitive development stays up to a certain level. Trent talks about all of the different demographics in which you can use this for and why it's important. It's a great podcast, good information here. With no further ado, here's Trent. Trent, thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. Why don't you give the audience a background bio of who you are and how it is that you got into what you do today? Sure. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so basically, I consider myself um, having 25 years experience of helping people problem solve for their own body's needs. And so this, this really stemmed out of my own needs that I solved for myself before I started working with other people. So let me just kind of make the long story short to give you an idea is that, um, you know, I, I, I actually went to college for dance. I became a professional dancer. And in, in doing that, going through that process, um, you know, halfway through college, I hit a wall and got injured. I was really, I could barely walk in the morning. And I, I had this inflammation and severe pain from the knees down that just got in the way of any athletic performance that I was trying to accomplish. And at the time I was, of course, dancing many hours a day, several days a week, lifting weights, doing Pilates, doing all the things I should be doing. Um, but in the morning I couldn't walk. And so that this became like a problem. <laughs> this thing I'm trying to do for my life is really in my way. And I went home for holiday break and I was explaining to my mom, I don't get it. Like, why, why can't I walk? Like, why is it so painful? And why do I have so much inflammation? And she said, well, Trent, that's because you were born with cerebral palsy. And I was like, I was 19. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and, and so like, to give you the bio, like this, my whole 25 year career has come out of first solving for my own problems of having cerebral palsy at birth, but not knowing that that was the case until I was 19. And she's like, oh yeah, don't you remember when you were three, we, they, the doctors put casts on your legs because you didn't have any mobility in your ankles. So they forced your heels to the floor and then cast you there to force the tissues to stretch. And then I had this memory of like, yeah, I remember these casts, but I didn't have a connection between having a diagnosis of cerebral palsy, which was a class one. So it's a mild form, nothing that you would know by looking at me, but it certainly had a huge influence on my ability to move. So that, that was like the foundation, like the start of my bio at 19 to launch me into first problem solving for myself before I expanded into helping other people with their issues. 
Wow. Well, it sounds like uh, it could be a movie of some sorts to find out that you have something, even like you said, I'm not familiar with the sort of the classes of diagnosis, type one, uh, type two, whatever class one, but cerebral palsy in general to be, you know, to to then be a a top level dancer seems to be uh, quite the feat that you overcame. So then from that point on, did you go into Pilates uh, next as a, as a sort of a, like as your next fitness endeavor, is that what was a, well, the next step in your life? I was already doing Pilates when I was in college and I was already in various kind of kinesiology, anatomy, movement therapies, you, you name it. And so when I went back to school, it was like, I've, I've got to problem solve this for myself. I've got to figure out how to, how to do this. And I'm already doing all these things. So like textbook says I should be fine. I'm doing everything right. You know? And so I decided to start looking at um, the, the movement therapies and what was missing for them and what was missing in Pilates for me and, and put together a program for myself. So I started inventing exercises and journaling what worked, what didn't work and, you know, what made it better, what made it worse for how long. And then I rehabbed my own injury. So that process of problem solving and rehabbing my own injury became my own body of work. And that body of work for many years was just, I just taught it under the umbrella of Pilates. And then books and literature started being published about neuroscience and how the, we know the brain is plastic. And I, I get these books thinking, I was like, I'm gonna really dive into this, like this great new work that's being published. And as I'm reading it, I'm like, this is exactly what I do with my clients. I've been doing this with my clients for years and years and years, but there wasn't a language for it. There mm-hmm. wasn't a terminology that the layperson could could access easily. And all these books and literature started providing that for people and the aha moments of like, yeah, this is what we're doing is we're building new neural patterns. And it was really, it was a beautiful moment because it it really um, confirmed for me that my intuition and problem solving for myself that turned into helping other people that I was on the right track. Yeah. I'm sure that was uh, quite the revelatory situation when you start to read the literature and the science and you're like, Hey, I'm I'm ahead of the science essentially, right? I've I've been doing this for years. I could have wrote this book if I knew the uh, the scientific jargon of sorts. So I want to I want to hop into a little bit of what you do, so that the audience knows. You talk about yeah. f- fire up your brain and your program. And I know that it's a you know affiliated with what we just talked about, sort of a more of a neurological components. But you involve Pilates. Right. How do you describe exactly what it is you do? Yeah, well, it's really about making brain performance fun and accessible. It's that simple. When you make brain performance fun and accessible, then we can open up worlds for people. So for fire per brain, it's just, it's about optimizing what you need. So for, for kids, for example, which is um, one of the programs that I've put together, you know, they, especially now with how much screen time they have going on, but even before the screen time, you know, kids struggle with focus. They're struggling with anxiety, being able to, to really be present and accomplish the things that are put in front of them. And so you know, when you, when you look at firing up a brain for a kid, it isn't about making them more excited and, and, you know, making their brain fast and hyper. It's about making it efficient. So when you say fire up your brain, it's like getting the parts of your brain to function in a way and integrate in a way that that they're not so that you can accomplish whatever's in front of you. And for kids, it's focus and anxiety and it helps with school. For seniors, we look at helping them with balance and mobility. So we build specific games around those issues for athletes, um, it, this is a huge, huge one because you have athletes that need injury prevention, but they also need recovery. And usually when they're getting injury recovery, they're still competing. You know, they're still trying to be, you know, at the, at the top level. So um, 
these populations have been the main three that I've worked with for the last 25 years. I ha I'm not a senior yet, but I happen to have been and had issues within the child situation and the athletic situation. So a lot of it comes from personal experience, but also years of having these people's clients. Now, I know some of what you do because I've researched it and I actually do some of it, but could you give the audience kind of a, a, a description of what toys you may use and how the program might come about? Because although you're saying, you know, fire up your brain, make it fun, what exactly could a personal trainer use to do this, whether it's for a, a youngster like you talked about, an athlete or the older uh, senior population? Yeah, yeah, it's really about making it fun. So that's actually why I invented the Brain Speed Ball. So the Brain Speed Ball is, is a really simple inflatable ball that you play a game of catch with. And it has A through Z and 1 through 12 on it. So if you and I were playing, for example, we were throwing the ball back and forth. And then when you catch it, you'll stop the ball in place and you'll tell me what you see. So we, as you go back and forth, you catch it, you're like, oh, you, you catch it again, B, you catch it again, the number one. And the reason why this is so important is because we know science has proven that our brain puts significant emphasis on the input that comes from the eyes. And just like the rest of your body, when when your eyes are weak or they're imbalanced and they don't work well together, your body suffers and your performance of your brain suffers. So by playing a simple game that gets you to tap into how your brain processes, mm -hmm. so you're sensing where the ball is, what's on the ball, you're deciding to catch it and say it out loud, and then you act on it by saying it out loud. So that sense, decide, act becomes a neurological cycle that already happens in your brain that we can just plug into. So you don't even really know, you don't have to know that cycle exists for it to work because we're just naturally tapping into it and keeping it fun so that the brain feels like it wants to do it. Because if you lose the fun, the brain's like, ah, this is a threat or this isn't engaging. I don't really want to do this. So that, that game aspect is a really important part of it. And I think it's uh, the best way I could put it is beautifully simple. And a lot of trainers overcomplicate things and they want to show you how smart they are with talking about all the anatomical jargon and the nuances. But sometimes it just comes down to not, not only having fun, but the little small things, the efferent, afferent neurons, those synapses that are firing, the proprioception, the things we learned early on and keeping that up. I work with the senior population. That's probably the largest part of my sort of demographic for lack of a better term that I work with. Great. And we do simple things like almost like a Simon says, where I'll take two steps to the left. They have to take two steps to the left. If I do a bicep curl with my left arm, they're facing me. They have to do it with their left arm. Right. And then mm -hmm. boxing, I have something called a gym, uh, get, get energized and moving certification. I work with all movement disorders, but specifically Parkinson's. And awesome. we know, right. That they, we've, we've seen the population, you know, the studies that I think Georgia Southern actually yeah. did one recently that shows how important it is to have you, like you said, not only the eyes, but all like sort of all of those things working in concert. So when I'm throwing out a combo, one, two, three, four, slip one, and they're feeling the impact on their hands and reverberating back into their body and they're hearing it. And then they're replicating those movements. It's maybe, you know, there, there's no way to reset, uh, let's say loss of cognitive function or something if you have these, but you can certainly delay it. And that's, what's important. Yeah. And then optimizing what they do have. I, you know, the, the, the population that have neurological diseases and disorders, um, they're, they're amazing to work with, you know, Parkinson's MS. Um, I recently had a client that had suffered a stroke and, you know, I had some, some, uh, some professionals watching the session and were amazed at how hard I would make it for this person. You know, like, I don't mean hard for the sake of hard, but you know, 
they have very limited function. They, they're just, they're just a, a few months out of having a stroke and they only have partially use of one side of their body, but still making it fun and engaging and hard. And, and that magic combination gives them results and gives them, you know, maybe laughing for the first time in a really long time which is huge because if you can change their mood, you can change their outlook, you can access a whole different you know, situation. Yeah, I think that's a great side note training tip. Do not treat them with kid gloves. If anything, make it harder, right? They don't wanna be treated with kid gloves because they probably are in some other area of their life. When you're working with them for that one hour, push them, right? They expect to be yeah. pushed and, and you need yeah. to push them. Yeah, and I think that's where as professionals, you, you have the ability to, um, hopefully you have the ability to assess if you really are pushing them, you know, making it too easy is not good for them. You don't want to make it so hard that they're, <laughs> that it's terrible, but you have to make it hard enough that their brain can engage with actually solving the situation in front of them. You know, for some people, I mean, I've had, I've had CrossFit athletes that I throw the ball to them for the first time and they freak out because, oh, come to find out they're afraid of balls. They have been their whole life. They were that kid in dodgeball class where <laughs> they got tormented. They're incredible athletes, but the ball like totally tripped them up. So a hard game for them is different than a hard game for someone else. And so just finding what, what that means for the person in front of you, I think it's really important as a pro. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. My, uh, my wife actually was a collegiate ice skater, a very good one uh, for University of Wisconsin. She, she couldn't catch a tennis ball. If I threw it at her, she would duck because she never played any ball sport, right? right? She grew up ice skating. Right, she, right. she had no idea. She couldn't, she never caught a baseball, never threw a softball. So uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's good to think about those things and how people might be a different. And that's another reason to also adapt to different forms of, uh, again, uh, challenging exercises that your client might not be used to. So maybe they're really used to catching the ball, but they're, they're not used to doing things on one foot because they've always done things on stable surfaces with both feet. Well, then that's how you challenge them, right? So use right. a different a means and mode to challenge their balance and proprioception, whatever that is, whether it's stability or the exercise or a combination of both. Now, uh, I want to get back to Pilates. Anyone who listens to this podcast is probably sick of this because uh, there's a lot of Pilates talk for some reason. Everyone, everyone that comes on this podcast ends up having a background in Pilates, whether we know it or not. But can you delve a little bit more into maybe what you do on a day-to-day -day basis uh, with Pilates? Do you also integrate that into your brain work or is that separate? Oh, no, it's not separate. The brain work is priority for me. Pilates is another tool that I use. And it's, it's huge because I, can, I, can, I have a Pilates studio. And I have teachers that also work for me and, you know, we have clients that come in, but they're coming to us because of our background and understanding of the brain and the whole neurological situation. So we're, we're looking at them through that neurological lens. And because we do that, um, it's a, it's a specific situation. So yes, we'll put you on the same equipment that maybe another Pilates studio might put you on, but our assessments are neurologically based. And we're gonna be looking at evaluating how strong your senses are, especially your eyes and your vestibular system. So when you're looking at eyes and inner ear, it brings two pieces into, into play that can oftentimes for Pilates, for, for a lot of Pilates, and a lot of personal training can just be kind of like excluded. You know, they're not doing a lot of visual exercises and inner ear exercises. Even when people think they're doing balance exercises, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing inner ear exercises and actually tracking the fluid of the inner ear and the head movements and such. So, um, so yes, the, the Pilates works, it goes hand in hand. And, and it's worth noting that, you know, we're not playing a game of brain speed ball for an hour. The game lasts five minutes or less. And it's really about where you put it in your, in your session. So even for a personal trainer, when you're working with a client, it's like you, you're observing something and you, you, have a, you have a choice to make. You can say, 
I'm going to give them a verbal cue to improve this or a tactile cue to improve this, um, or just have them finish the set of whatever they're doing, grab their brain speed ball, play the game for five minutes or so, and then go back to the same exercise with no verbal corrections, no instructions that are different and see what happens. And that's where you as a professional can see just how powerful the senses are in talking to the brain, but also the person who's working can be like, oh, I don't know what just happened, but this feels easier. And I feel like more organized and stronger and my, my whole integration and my torso is more connected or whatever it might be that they might say. Right. But, um, it's a, it's a ninja move for a trainer or a Pilates instructor to be able to just have a couple minutes of a game that has such a huge effect on improving something that maybe they've been struggling with for a long time. Or you just like, every time they come in, I got to tell them the same thing every time. And it doesn't improve. You know, that's when you look at shifting to the senses and talking to the brain. Yeah. And I think you have an advantage in this too, being from a Pilates background, as opposed to just, let's say straight personal training where the, the movements are, again, you need to be so in tune with your body during these movements. If you're in prone and supine, sometimes you can't see what you're doing, right? But you have to feel it, right? If you feel the carriage moving too quickly and there's a jerk action, then, then you're doing it wrong, right? You're creating slack. You have to be slower with your legs, whether you're pointing your toes or flexing your toes and the little nuances of all these movements makes you understand sort of proprioception more and all these, these neural things that are going on as opposed to, you know, unfortunately, you know, a regular young 22 year old personal trainer who's only ever, you know, lifted heavy weights and it's just effort. You know, this isn't about effort. This is about connecting, right? Sometimes it's slowing things down in order to connect those things. And then slowly you become more efficient at those movements as you, as you do them more and more. Yeah, for sure. Sure. I think, I think for, for any trainer at any age, um, if they just start with the willingness to start looking at uh, outside of proprioception, outside of muscle contractions and joint movement, which is super important, but you, you, you know, outside of that, you have looking at other senses. And if you just start with simple ways to incorporate sensory training into a session, it makes a huge difference. And you don't have to, you don't have to have 10 years of experience to be able to start having that kind of impact on your clients. That's the thing to really remember. Yeah. And I know this sounds odd, but don't be embarrassed to be throwing uh, your client a ball in the middle of the gym, right? This is this is for them. This is helpful. And again, yeah. it's fun. I watch trainers do it all the time and see not only it working with their clients and seeing them advancing, but see the you know the the cognitive way in which they're also lighting up. And I think there is a again, there's a not, I don't want to say a stigma, but there's this there's this inner drive to use the latest and greatest most uh, technical exercises when sometimes dialing it back and just being simple is more important. And, and the, sh the science shows that. And I want to talk a little bit about the science because I know we, we mentioned it earlier, but you're not just doing this willy nilly. You know that the, the science backs this up. And, and can you explain a little bit more about the science or any other uh, little tidbits, facts that are fun to know concerning this? Yeah. Well, let me, I want to tell you a story about a, an athlete that I worked with because it really speaks to how powerful the science can be. Um, so he, he was actually um, races motorcycles and he was on a motorcycle and going 50 miles an hour and lost control of his bike and went headfirst into a cement wall, broke like 22 bones and um, had a, a very significant traumatic brain injury. And uh, his wife called me basically on, on her way to the airport to fly to where he was be like, I don't know when I'm, I can use you, but as soon as he's able to function, I need, I would need your help. So when he can, when, when you can work with him, I need you guys to work together. And so basically I was just on call waiting for the moment for him to be able to come into the space for me to work with him. And so 
you know, not too long after that, the day came and he was about, I think he was about four days out of his wheelchair. So he's only been walking on his own for four days or so. And the way he described it is he walked as a drunk penguin. <laughs> and so he kind of had like this side to side walk and he'd have to, have to kind of, yeah, exactly. Have to kind of hold the wall to stabilize himself when he came in. And, you know, he's, he's had the best care. He's had the best rehab. And basically they decided, even though he had so many broken bones that they were just going to leave him. They weren't going to re re break them and, and place them and give him hardware. Just, they're going to let him heal the way they were to not create more problems for his organs and various things. But it was the traumatic brain injury that was the biggest problem. It was just his, his cognitive function and his ability to walk. I mean, if he can't walk, he's not going to be at his job. He's not going to be able to go back to his job and, and continue to process of, of, returning to his life. So we played brain speed ball for about 10 minutes or less. And he walked like he'd had nothing wrong with him. And it was amazing. I, I mean, the thing is, is I don't ever expect something to happen. I just hope that it does. But when it does, I'm just as amazed as my clients are, because I'm just there to help to do the experiment. I, I feel like I am doing the research in real time with my client to see what happens. So when he could walk as if nothing had happened before, it just blew me away. And and did him too and his wife as well. And they were like, well, that's, that's really great, but how long is it going to stick? Like it, you're going to wake up tomorrow and everything is going to be back the way it was, you know, and it never went back the way it was. He never returned back to that drunk penguin walk. He's able to walk normally, what he would call normally from then on. And now it's been a couple of years. Um, he's back to working full time. He's traveled on his own camping on his own in national parks and, He's an amazing guy, but it was, it does seem weird that a simple game of catch can trigger such a profound response. And that's where I want to take you back to um, what it is about playing that game of catch. It really is about tracking what's coming towards you. So, you know, again, throwing the ball to him isn't just that he's catching the ball, but that he's watching the ball come through the air. So there's depth perception involved. So neurologically, that's a huge component for your eyes. And then he's tracking with his eyes. So as I'm playing, I'm actually throwing the ball to different places around him. So he has to move his body. He's not static. He's moving his body. And we're seeing where he has weakness in gaps in his abilities. So then I'm targeting those gaps. So if he drops the ball more when it's to the right, I'm going to throw to the right more. Yeah. And I'm going to throw, throw slow, throw fast, bounce it off the wall, bounce it off the floor, et cetera, and tap into all the dynamics that the visual system has that you can find some weaknesses and then also patch them up. So it's incredible. It's so, so back to like this research piece and, and, and the science that supports it. It's that while we know a lot about that the brain is plastic and the eyes are super important to the connection to the brain, we really only have a fraction of the information that I believe is possible to understand when it comes to the brain, brain performance. So I don't ever profess to have all the answers about every single detail. And I think that's, that would be really naive because I think, in the next five years, we're going to know so much more than we know now that's going to really paint some pictures for us. But we have seen some very profound things happen that have stuck. It's been amazing. Well, that's a heck of a story. And I could hear it in your voice, how much you care for that particular client and, and all of your clients and getting them to their goals or, or, or keeping them where they're at. And that's, that's so important. And I think naturally, when somebody sees the toy, I'm going to play devil's advocate, they might go, well, what else can you do with it? It's just a ball, right? I'm going to continue to throw it. And that is a huge yeah. mistake, right? That's a huge mistake yeah, yeah. because because we know that it's our bodies that are the tools. It's not the toy, right? So you can switch up and use it a million different ways. Like you said, well, I can throw it low. 
I can throw it high, I can throw it right, I can throw it left. I can see where the where there's a there's a, a disconnect, and I can focus on that. I can use a, an agility ladder, have them take two steps to the right, then catch the ball, then two steps to the left, then catch the ball. I can have them stand on a bosu oh, and yeah. catch the ball and see if. And I mean, oh, yeah. it goes on and on and on. It's if if you can't yeah. be creative with it, that's a you problem. It's not the tools problem. And then I always talk about, and I want to just quickly throw this in here. I have an acronym I call DOTS, duration, object, tempo, stability. If you switch up any one of those four, you have endless exercises. So in this case, if the object is the ball, you could switch up the duration, whether it's the repetitions or the time, and then the tempo, whether you're going sl slow or fast, or you know, you're focused on eccentric, concentric, and then stability, whether you're on one leg or on a BOSU or on a foam pad or on your knees or on your back, whatever that is, you'll have endless exercises. So don't think that this is a limited tool because it's not. Yeah, I actually love the question. People say, well, what else can you do with it? And it's like, first of all, that's a great question. And you want to ask yourself, what makes you think that you can only do one or two things with it? What is it about what you believe in using a tool that feels like you're limited? Like, take away the limitation, because I, I promise you, you're going to come up with 50 more things that, that I haven't thought of that my team hasn't thought of. And we've thought of a lot. We, we use this in every way you could imagine. And every day we're like, oh, that's a new way. Oh, that's a new way. So it's really about like, people want to put it on me. Like, well, what else can you do? <laughs> it's like, I'll show you, I can show you a hundred things right now, but I'd rather you come up with your 50. And it's even better because then you own it. You own that game and you, you have a way to get your clients to engage with you in, your, in, your, in the way that your relationship is based. Um, you know, for our clients that have had strokes and they can't, fully they don't have pincer grasp and they can't fully close their hands we'll take air out of the ball too so so you have a fully inflated ball and all the things that come with that and then you have a half inflated ball and all the games that come with that we play with athletes a lot of times with two balls so that we can we can work on their reaction time so for like a volleyball player who's got quick response at the net or quick response in the back row we want to be able to drill the ball from multiple angles and have them be able to catch it and track it and play the game faster than the game that they're playing. Because if they can respond and track faster than their sport, the sport is no longer challenging the threat to their brain. They can process at a much better rate. So there's you, the, the, the possibilities are endless. It's just being willing to look at the scenario and go, here's how I would problem solve for this scenario. And if you're willing to be a problem solver, then that's not the question you're asking. The question is, <laughs> I can't wait to see, the statement is, I can't wait to see what I come up with because it's, that's just not an issue. Yeah, well, that's a great point. And the second you said that, I thought, you know, if I had two balls, what would I do? And I started thinking of all these things that I can do with two, like, you know, throwing them and saying right, left. And whatever I said, they actually have to tell me left, right. Right. So like I'm telling them something, but they have to reverse it and know that they're reversing it yeah. and then look and just, I mean, there's, there's endless things you can come up with. I know that, you know, baseball players already do this in some sense. It's a, it sounds like an old wives tale. They try it. They're not successful at it, but there will be baseball players who write a letter or number down on the ball. And then they'll sit in a batting cage and see if they can see that letter or number on that ball as it's coming in 80 or 90 miles per hour without swinging, just to see if they can locate right. it because that helps with their visual acuity and their timing of the baseball, right? So this is just sort of a, right. a, a, a larger scale version of, of that and, and moved over to fitness. So yeah. I love, I love working with baseball players. I'm, you know, I've had, I've had pro athletes from just about every sport and baseball players are really fun to work with because each position is really unique. And so you have wh what position they play and you can tap into discovering where their weaknesses are, you know, for that, for the pitcher, they've got to have incredible peripheral awareness. They have to be able to see everything that's happening and that awareness for the person who's at bat, 
if they have weakness, if they, if, if they, if they're right-handed and they, they bat that way and they have weakness with their eyes going to the left, they're going to have a hard time tracking the ball. And sometimes you have people that have the, the worst averages. It's because of their eyes. It's not because they're not strong enough or they're not coordinated enough. It's that literally their eyes can't focus on that ball that's coming toward them when they're looking to the left. <laughs> so you, you can strengthen that and you can just open up possibilities really quickly. It's fun. It's, it's such a good point. I was working with a golfer and basically we found out that because of his, he was so left eye dominant, which he didn't know. And mm -hmm. he, he was a lefty, yeah. he was a lefty putter, but his eye was behind that way. We made him a righty putter and he took two strokes off of his score. Right. And this was right. like already a very right. good golfer, just like learning those little nuances about it. And you're right. Working with athletes, it's so important that you look at the athlete and what they're doing specifically and then cater those exercises to it because I'll have, I'll have people come up to me all the time and say, Hey, I'm working with this, you know, this guy who plays football. These are the exercises I want to do. And I say, well, what, what position does he play? Cause if he's a quarterback, he's going to have to be worried about visual stimuli and avoiding right. things and throwing and timing. But if he's an offensive lineman, he needs to work on explosive movements. Right. So these are fair, you know, obviously very different. And I think that that was a great point. Um, so tell the audience where they can find fire up your brain. And if they want to contact you personally, Trent, to know how to integrate this into their personal training sessions or Pilates sessions or group fitness, uh, where they can do that. Yeah. So you can go to fireupyourbrain.com. And then there's uh, a page there called Ask Trent. And what I would encourage your listeners to do is to put in the information, their name and email into Ask Trent, and then you get notified when I go live. And what I do is you have the ability to ask questions based on your particular scenario. And then when I go live, I answer those questions and then provide those. If you don't watch it live, you can get the video later on. So it's a free program, but it's a way to actually get access to me and problem solving for your particular situation by just you know, tapping into that program. That's great. And again, you know, I'll, I will uh, pitch this to the audience. If you're a creative trainer, you're gonna have endless things to do with this. If you're not a creative trainer, it's gonna force you to be creative and start thinking and build. It's for all populations, young to old. There's only so many fitness tools in the industry and this one that works more on your brain is very important. So go out, get a ball, see how it works for you and your clients. And uh, Trent, I hope to maybe have you on another Truly Fit podcast down the road speaking about something different. It'd be great. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform, and feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.